reading today is part of Paul's message to the Christians in Ephesus. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. My name is Mark. If I haven't met you before, I'm one of the pastors here. Really excited to be with you this morning. Excited to look at Ephesians again with you. So let me pray and then we'll uh, start looking at this passage together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we might know the hope to which you've called us the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints and your power, your incomparably great power for us who believe. Father, we pray that these things that we talk about today might go beyond just being intellectual concepts and ideas, but that they might be truths which shape us, which affect us, which transform our emotions and our wills and our actions. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, In the movie Castaway, Tom Hanks plays a character called Chuck, uh, who is stranded on an uninhabited island in the South Pacific after his plane crash lands in the ocean. And the movie follows his efforts to survive and ultimately to find rescue. Uh, And probably the movie is most memorable for one of the characters in the movie, a character called Wilson. Uh, Wilson is a volleyball with a face painted on it. Uh, And Wilson is the only person that Chuck has to talk to on the island. Chuck is so lonely and he's so desperate for human contact that this volleyball becomes his best friend. Uh, and it's, it's humorous, it's clever, it's ridiculous, but it's also deeply touching uh, because there are a couple of points throughout the movie where Chuck comes close to losing Wilson. And both times in the movie are very tense moments of cinema because of what's at stake in those moments. If Wilson is lost, then Chuck has to face the reality of truly being alone. And for Chuck, that's a fate worse than death. Uh, What the movie Castaway manages to capture so well is how important community is. Uh, If Castaway teaches us anything, if you'll excuse the pun, it's that a man is not an island. Uh, No, we are wired for and we need community. Uh, In the last 10 years or so in South Korea, there's been a cultural phenomenon that's emerged called social eating. Basically what social eating is, is where somebody sets up a meal in front of a webcam and broadcasts themselves just eating to the world. Now that sounds really bizarre, I know, but the most popular social eaters regularly pull tens or hundreds of thousands of viewers to their videos every single day. Now, sociologists are starting to research this growing trend, and one of the most obvious conclusions that they're coming to is just how desperate people are for companionship and for community, so much so that they're willing to share a meal with a stranger on the internet. Uh, One of the most famous and probably influential psychological models which attempts to explain human behaviour and motivation is something called the hierarchy of needs, It was suggested by a psychologist in the 20th century called Abraham Maslow. Uh, And in it, Maslow suggested that for humans to prosper, 
for humans to flourish in all that they were created to do, beyond our most kind of basic needs for, you know, like food and, and water and Wi-Fi, stuff like that, beyond those basic needs, the next most basic thing that we all need are relationships. We need community. We need a sense of belonging. We need to love and be loved. Now, I, I share these things with you, and I hope that none of them come as a surprise to you this morning, because as Christians, we have long known that we are designed for community. Because at the, at the very heart of our faith is a God who is himself community, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this communal God created us for communion with him. He created us to relate to him. And so Christians have understood this central need for community. But more than that, Christians have also understood that when God saves people through the gospel, when people put their trust in Jesus, he takes these individual people and he sort of weaves them together into a new, united, spiritual community, into the church. Now, we've been seeing over these past few weeks in the book of Ephesians some of the different ways that the church is described in this book. In chapter 1, you might remember, the church is described as the adopted children of God. We are, in one sense, God's family. In chapter 2, we saw about how we are like a new humanity, humanity 2.0, that God has recreated. But Paul also says that we're kind of like fellow citizens and members of God's household. Or he uses another metaphor and he says, we are like bricks in God's holy temple. In chapter 3, he says that we are all members of one body and Jesus Christ is the head of that body. Now, what's the point of all those images that Paul uses? Well, it's to teach us that as Christians, not only are we connected with God, but we are also deeply connected with one another. Now, in this series on Ephesians, we, we spent the first two weeks thinking about our identity as a church. And then last week, we started turning our attention to four activities that flow out of our identity, four commitments, if you like, that we ought to have as a church. And the first of those that we saw last week was worship. And, well, this week, we're up to our second key activity of community. That's our second key activity that we think flows from our identity. Now, before you point out the obvious to me, I know full well that community is not an activity, is it? Uh, community is a noun, not a verb. I get that. Uh, but the activity that we're really talking about here is a commitment to building community. That is what should flow out of our gospel identity. In light of our identity, we ought to be people who build community. But the question for us to wrestle with this morning is, well, what should that community look like? What should the community of the church look like? Because if you're setting out to build something, well, then you've got to know what the final shape is that you're aiming for, don't you? You've got to know the design if you want to build properly. So what should the community of the church look like? In the world, you can join all manner of groups and communities which have their own particular flavor of community where the members kind of relate to each other in their own unique way. Uh, but what about the community of the church? What should that look like? How should we relate to one another? That's the big question for today. And to find that answer, we actually have to understand a little bit about the structure of the book of Ephesians. You see, for the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul has just been explaining the good news of the gospel in great detail. He's talked about how we were once dead in our sins and transgressions, but now how out of his great love for us, God has made us alive with Christ. 
how God saved us through no merit of our own, how it was entirely of God's grace, and how now through Christ all people can have access to God as their heavenly Father and can receive every spiritual blessing in Christ. These first three chapters of Ephesians have really been this kind of soaring poetic love song to the gospel. That's what we've seen in the first three chapters. And not once in those first three chapters does the Apostle Paul give an imperative. Not once does he give a command or an instruction to people. He doesn't tell them to do anything. He just tells them about the gospel. He's saying, this is, this is what you believe as Christians. Just get your head around it. Understand it. Appreciate it. Savor it. And then, by the time we get to chapter 4 in Ephesians, Paul finally starts to unpack what it looks like to live a life in response to that amazing gospel news. And so he says in chapter 4, verse 1, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That's how chapter 4 starts. And really, for the the next three chapters of the book, Paul is going to elaborate on that instruction. He's going to give us rule after rule or guideline after guideline about Christian behavior. And what he's really doing in these next three chapters of Ephesians is describing the way that a Christian community should behave. Uh, We're going to have a look, and I want you to notice just how much all of the commands in these next three chapters are related to how Christians should conduct themselves within the church. So let me show you a couple of examples. Verse 2, he says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You see how he's describing Christian community here? Christians are to be patient with one another in order to help preserve the unity that we have in Christ. Let's have a look at another example. Verse 25, it's the same idea. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for you are all members of one body. See, Christians shouldn't lie to one another because we're all members of the body of Christ. You wouldn't lie to your own body, and so don't lie to other Christians to whom you are connected in Christ. And on it goes for, for the next three chapters, describing in great detail kind of the texture, if you like, of Christian community. So what is Christian community supposed to look like? Well, we could just say Christian community is supposed to look like Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, and we could catalogue those commands, and we could be done with it. But I realise that that's not particularly helpful for us this morning. Uh, So thankfully, what I want us to notice here is that right in the middle of this second half of the book, at the beginning of chapter 5, in those verses that we had read out earlier, we get a kind of a, a summary statement which ties all of the commands of the second half of the book together. It's a verse which explains the motivation behind all of the commands in chapters 4, 5, and 6. So let's have a read of them again. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, In perhaps some of your Bibles, in the older NIV translation, it used to say, be imitators of God and to live a life of love. Friends, here is what is at the heart of Christian community. Here is what shape it should take. The shape of love. God's love. The love he showed us on the cross when Jesus gave himself for us. 
as people who have received God's love, we are now to imitate that love to one another in community, to follow the example God has set for us. Uh, I love our church building here at WBC. I really do. I love how versatile this space is. It can be used for so many different things. I love how comfortable our church building is. Uh, One of my favorite things about our church building is that you can be having a conversation with somebody who doesn't come here, and all you have to say to them is, yeah, it's that big blue one that looks like a shoebox, and they know exactly which church you're talking about. It's really convenient. It's really great. I love our church building, but in my opinion, our, our building doesn't really hold a candle to some of the great cathedrals of the Middle Ages. Uh, The architects that designed those great cathedrals, they were experts at building object lessons into their church facilities. Everything in those buildings was designed to teach biblical truth to people who, for the most part, didn't have the Bible in their own language. From the kind of the lofty ceilings that reminded you of the grandeur of God, to the mosaics and the stained glass windows all around the walls, which depicted Bible stories. It was all teaching a lesson. But of course, the most distinct feature of a cathedral is their cruciform or cross-shaped floor plan. If you've ever stepped foot in a cathedral, you'll know that they are comprised of one long room with two wings off to the sides. And by having this kind of cruciform, cross-shaped architecture, cathedrals were trying to communicate that it was the message of the cross which quite literally gave shape to their gatherings. Every time people would gather as a community, gather as a church, their feet were literally planted on the cross. Friends, Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2 is telling us that the church is to be a cruciform community. It is to be cross-shaped. You see, the cross, yes, the cross is what saves us, but it's also what shapes us. The cross is how we become a part of this community, but the cross is also how we live as part of this community. And so, friends, we should be committed to building a cross-shaped, cruciform community as we love one another sacrificially, just as Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. That's what Christian love is. Christian love wants what is best for the other person, no matter the cost to yourself. That's what we saw Jesus model for us on the cross. And that is to be the hallmark of Christian community, sacrificial, God-imitating love. And so, friends, what I'd like to do with the time that I have left is just to kind of focus in on two particular ways that we can imitate the example of God's love. You could think of these as maybe two markers of a cruciform community. That's what we're going to look at for the rest of the time here this morning. And so firstly, what does a cruciform community actually look like? Well, a cruciform community builds one another up. Uh, every year in, uh, in Catalonia, a place in Spain, there is a competition to see who can build the tallest and the most elaborate castell. Uh, a castell is a human tower, and it's often 10 or so stories high. Uh, And and these are amazing structures. They comprise often of about 250 people, uh, the majority of whom kind of form the base for stability. And the tower is made up of kind of concentric rings of people standing on each other's shoulders, with the kind of the smaller and the lighter people often on top. And often the final story 
is one very small and one very brave child wearing a crash helmet. Uh, it's an incredible sight to see uh, this group of people so skillfully and so efficiently to build themselves up into something really very breathtaking. Now, in a similar but far less dangerous way, members of churches are supposed to build each other up. Now, thankfully, the way that we do that is actually through our words. Uh, Throughout this section of the book of Ephesians, one of the recurring themes is how Christians are to speak to one another. And so we read in Ephesians 5, for example, that within the church, there should be no obscenity, no foolish talk, no coarse joking, which are out of place. Similarly, in chapter 4, Paul writes, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And this is good wisdom. This is good instruction for Christians who want to model God's love to one another, right? Because words can easily tear people down. Words can easily corrupt and pollute a community. Words are a bit like toothpaste. They're easy to push out, but they're a lot harder to take back in. And so no unhelpful speech, no unwholesome talk, no coarse joking, but rather, what does Paul say? What should we do instead? We should give thanks. We should speak only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Or to put it another way, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. One of the ways that we show love towards one another is to speak words which build each other up, which strengthen and encourage others in their faith. Now, to speak the truth in love, it is one of the best ways that we can imitate the love of God. And friends, there are are just so many practical ways that we can do that right here every single Sunday. Think about this, for instance. You might be in a conversation with somebody after church uh, who's experiencing some doubts or some struggles in their faith at the moment. Now, in that scenario, you might know of a particular verse of the Bible that would be relevant and helpful for that person. And so out of love, you could open a Bible with them right there and share that verse of scripture with them to encourage them. Those would be words that would build that person up. Or another example, you might find yourself talking with someone at church who shares a way that God has answered a prayer for them this week. You could say to them, that's so great to hear. How about I just give thanks to God for that right now? And you could pray a short prayer of thankfulness with them right there and then. Those would be words that you're speaking that would encourage that person and build them up in their faith. You could even write that prayer point down on the back of your bulletin in the corner which says, people I met and things to pray for. That would be a very encouraging thing to do. Uh, But without a doubt, the main way that we can use our words to build other people up is actually by making the Bible the topic and the theme of our conversations. It's by having conversations with one another where we try and remind each other and help each other to grasp the truth of God's word. That's the main way that we can use our words to build one another up. Now, how do you you actually practically go about doing that? Well, it's not nearly as difficult as you think. Uh, The easiest way is probably just to have a conversation where you bounce off the sermon that you've all just heard that morning. You know, if during the course of a sermon you thought of a question or you picked up on a key point, well, you could jot that down on your bulletin and then you could share that with someone afterwards. Now, that sort of thing usually works better than asking those kind of vague, open-ended questions like, 
or what did you get out of the service today? For instance, today you might, by the grace of God, say something like this. Hey, Rod, how are things? Listen, I thought it was really interesting this morning what Mark said about how the cross not only saves us, but how it also shapes us. I've never thought about it like that before. What did you think? And often a conversation like that, a comment like that, will lead to an interesting and a mutually encouraging conversation over the word. But even if it doesn't, well, then you've been an encouragement to that person. You've shown them your enthusiasm for the word and your desire to pay attention to the sermon. And that sort of thing is infectious. It's a great example to set for other people. And so, friends, let me encourage and challenge you this morning to use the opportunities that you have even today in your seats with the people around you, over morning tea in the foyer, as you sit down to lunch with your brothers and sisters or with your family. Use that time to build one another up. There are so many hours in our weeks where we can talk about trivial and unimportant things. Let's use these precious moments to talk about important and encouraging things, things which will build up our brothers and sisters. That is a great way to express the love of God to one another. That's the first marker of a cruciform community. A cruciform community builds one another up. Secondly, a cruciform community welcomes outsiders. A cruciform community welcomes outsiders. Uh, throughout the 20th century, when European immigrants were arriving by boat to New York City, they would sail past the iconic Statue of Liberty. It was this symbol of kind of freedom and a, a promise of welcome to people who had arrived to America looking for a better life, often fleeing from war or persecution. Now, on a plaque at the bottom of the Statue of Liberty, there is a very famous poem which is meant to encapsulate America's kind of open-door attitude towards these new arrival. It's spoken by Lady Liberty herself, and she says, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed, to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Now, in a similar way, the church is supposed to be a beacon of welcome in the world. Now, think about this. When God demonstrated his love to us by dying on the cross, he did it in an indiscriminate way, didn't he? Uh, the book of Ephesians says that God showed his love to people who were dead in their sins and transgressions, people who were following the ways of the world, following the devil, people who deserved only the wrath of God, people who were exiles and foreigners, people who were outsiders. And yet, by God's grace, he makes a way for all people to return to him. Through Jesus' death, he sort of opens up the doors of heaven and he welcomes in the outsiders, the rebels, the enemies. He didn't discriminate and reserve his love for a particular age bracket. He didn't reserve his love for a particular ethnicity. He didn't reserve his love for people of a particular net worth. Thank God for his indiscriminate love. And so now as people who seek to imitate God's indiscriminate love, that means that we should be people who welcome outsiders. People from every race, every age, every background should feel welcome here at our church. And so let me just take this opportunity to say that if you're new here today, 
If you're a visitor amongst us, then you are welcome here. We are pleased that you are here. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what your background is. We want you to be here because we want to love you. And we want you to know that same incredible love of God that we all know through Jesus. And in fact, we would like to formally welcome you to our church. So would you consider coming along to the newish barbecue next month? We'd love to get to know you some more. You can speak to myself or to Rod for some more details about that. But for those of us who are regulars here at WBC, for those of us who call WBC our home, let me try and just sort of spell out exactly what this attitude should look like for us on a Sunday. Let me suggest for you three expressions of how we model this kind of welcoming attitude. Uh, Firstly, in a a cruciform community, there should be no favoritism. There should be no favoritism. As Christians, we don't have the option to relate exclusively to those people that we like or to those people who are most like us. That that option is not open for us. Uh, Loving your favorite people, that doesn't mirror the love of God. Loving people who are different from you, loving people who are hard to love, that is what imitates the love of God. And so let me ask you what might be an uncomfortable question this morning. When you come to church, do you sit with and talk to the same people every week? Do you sit with and talk to your favorites? Do you sit with and talk to only people who are like you? Do you welcome people into your life only who are convenient for you to love? In a cruciform community, there is no room for that kind of favoritism. And so behaviors like that need to change. Secondly, in a cruciform community, everyone should know everyone. Or at the very least, everybody should be making efforts to know everyone. So again, let me ask you on a practical level, do you know the names of everyone in church here this morning? As you look around this room here today, can you put a name to every face? Uh, Sadly, it's very easy to go to church with people for months or even years and to never learn their names. Uh, Now that we have just multiplied into these two morning services, now would be a great time for you to redouble your efforts at getting to know every person in this service. Uh, Maybe you could start a habit of praying through the church directory, page by page, one page per day. Uh, Maybe you could make it your objective to talk to somebody new every morning over morning tea, somebody that you've not talked to much before. Now, speaking from experience, uh, I know... (laughs) firsthand that it can be embarrassing when you admit that you've forgotten or maybe that you never even learned somebody's name. Uh, But here's my promise to you this morning. Uh, People will forgive you for that. (laughs) We will forgive you for that. We're not going to be offended. We understand that it happens. Uh, And in fact, actually going to the effort of saying to somebody that you want to know them, that, that sign covers over a multitude of faux pas. Uh, In a cruciform community, everybody should know everyone. And so let's make that effort together. Thirdly, in a cruciform community, you should gravitate towards new people. You should gravitate towards new people. Now, if you are a new person here this morning, please don't freak out about this. I'm not trying to put a target on your back. I'm not trying to swamp you with eager Christians. Uh, But I do want our regulars here to think about, well, when was the last time that you welcomed a visitor to church? When was the last time that you invited a new person over for lunch after church? Uh, Since I started here in January, the beginning of the year, 
there have been new people at our church every single week. And that's not an exaggeration. There are visitors here every single week. And I wish that I could say that I've never seen a visitor standing by themselves in the foyer, but sadly that's not true. So let me just say, for the sake of clarity here, uh, greeting visitors, welcoming new people into the church, that is not just the job of the pastors. That is the job of us as an entire community. And let me say, it's really quite an easy thing to do. You just smile, hold out your hand and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Mark. I don't think I've met you before. If you find it really difficult, just take a friend with you and do it as a pair. Show a new person the same welcome that you have received in Christ. That's what we're talking about. In a cruciform community, you should gravitate towards new people. And so there you have it. There are a few suggestions for how we should be people who, because of God's love, welcome outsiders. And these suggestions are to go with those other suggestions for how we can build one another up. You might like to take a note in your bulletin, for instance, of one particular way that's resonated with you, and you could share that in conversation over morning tea today. That would be a great thing to do. Well, today, as we've been thinking about this idea of being a cruciform community, I really hope that you haven't felt kind of overburdened or discouraged by this. My personal assessment is that I think Wollongong Baptist Church is already doing a good job of being a community which imitates God's love. I think we are doing a good job of that. That being said, there is always room for improvement. And so perhaps, friends, you should consider today as an invitation. Today is an invitation for you to participate in a great building project. The architect has showed us his design. He's equipped us for the task. And so let's pick up our hammers, let's put on our hard hats, and let's commit to the work. Because the end result is going to be far more glorious than any cathedral. The end result will be that we are a community that show God's love to the world. We are going to be a community where God's gospel is made perfectly clear and where the world finds the community that it is so desperately searching for. Will you pray with me? Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have loved us with the most amazing sacrificial love. We thank you that we are recipients of this love through no merit of our own, but entirely of your grace. We thank you that in your love we receive restoration and reconciliation with you, but also with one another. Thank you for this community that you have woven us into. We pray, Lord, that you would please teach us, train us to be people who live cruciform lives and who build this community to be a cruciform community. We ask that you would be glorified through our fellowship together. In Jesus' name, amen.